So this morning we are. <clears throat> Siri wanted to open up when I said this morning. So this morning we're we're looking at Jeremiah thirty three, uh, verses ten through eighteen. Jeremiah thirty three, ten through eighteen. Uh, once I get into my thing, after we read the scripture, I'll, I'll give you some of the context and background story and where this all fits in and what's going on. Um, so Jeremiah 33, uh, 10 through 18, uh, you'll find the words on the screen. Uh, follow along. But before we do that, uh, let's pray together. God, we are just so grateful that That we get to be together like this, that, that you meet us here, wherever it is we are, you meet us right where we are. And we open the scriptures, hoping, anticipating that we will hear a word from you. And so Holy Spirit, come and, and do what you do. Open our minds, our hearts, Give us eyes that see and ears that hear. Speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jeremiah 33, starting at verse 10. Listen to these words. This is what the Lord says. You say about this place, it is a desolate waste without men or animals. Yet in the towns of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem that are deserted, inhabited, by neither men nor animals, there will be heard once more the sounds of joy and gladness, the voices of bride and bridegroom, and the voices of those who bring thank offerings to the house of the Lord, saying, Give thanks to the Lord Almighty, for the Lord is good, his love endures forever. For I will restore the fortunes of the land as they were before, says the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says in this place. Desolate and without men or animals, in all its towns there will be again pastures for shepherds to rest their flocks. In the towns of the hill country, of the western foothills, and of the Negev, in the territory of Benjamin, in the villages around Jerusalem, and in the towns of Judah, flocks again pass under the hand of the one who counts them, says the Lord. The days are coming. Oh, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the gracious promise I made to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called, the Lord our righteousness. For this is what the Lord says, David will never fail to have a man sit on the throne of the house of Israel, nor will the priests who are Levites ever fail to have a man to stand before me continually, continually to offer burnt offerings, to burn grain offerings, and to present sacrifices. We will go. We'll go that far. So, I don't know how she did it, but she did it. 
maybe because she's one of the best moms in the whole universe, but Renee found it. Uh, she bought it, and then she gave it to our boys to celebrate the season of Advent. Now, you're probably wondering what it is. Emily and Justine, are you wondering what it is? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Get this. Renee found and bought and gave to our boys a Lego Star Wars minifigure advent calendar. <laughs> what? Like, who knew that thing even existed? Well, Renee apparently did because she found it, she bought it, and she gave it to our boys. Let me tell you about it. I almost brought it here to show you, but it's too precious. It can't leave our home now. But here's what it is. It's this box. It's got a picture of Star Wars on the front. And there are these perforated doorways, 24 of them, one for each day in the month of December leading up to Christmas. Each, in, each side of, in each of those doorways, there's a, there's a Star Wars minifigure just waiting to be grabbed, right? But you have to wait for each day, each morning. It's, it's so cool. So one night I asked, I asked the boys as we were getting ready for bed, when you think about opening a door tomorrow morning in that Lego Star Wars set, what are you hoping to find? Like, what do you really want to get out of the next doorway? One of them said the Millennium Falcon. Another one said the Razor Crest, which is the Mandalorian's ship, if you watch that show. It's awesome. Anyway, and the other one said uh, Darth Vader's castle on Mustafar. Now, I won't tell you which one said that because apparently he's leaning toward the dark side and I got to figure out what to do about that. I'll let you know how that works out. But each morning, each morning, there's like this heightened sense of anticipation. They're hoping to get something good out of that next doorway. They're hoping. And I got to tell you right now, It's good to have a little hope in the house. Even if it's about something silly, something little, like little mini figures, it's just good to have a little hope in the house. Especially given this last year that we've all experienced, we all need a little hope, maybe a lot of hope, but here's the deal. It's the second Sunday in the season of Advent. The season of Advent is the, the season where we, where we sort of begin waiting expectantly to celebrate, to celebrate Christmas, to celebrate God coming into the world as a human being. Anticipation is heightened. Hope is alive. There's so much to look forward to. There's so much to celebrate. Advent, really, it's the season of hope, hope. Hope is the word that we get from this book this morning. Hope-filled words from the prophet of hope, a guy named Jeremiah. Now, here's the thing. When Jeremiah was, was about a junior in high school, so 17-ish years old, God came to him and said these words. You can find these at the beginning of the book of Jeremiah. He said this, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Now, fast forward 40 years or so, and 
Jeremiah finds himself as a spiritual leader in his community, but his, his nation is sort of, it's in crisis mode right now. The king of Babylon and his troops have the city of Jerusalem totally and completely surrounded as they set up a deadly attack on the city. And the people inside, since supply routes are sort of cut off, they're on the brink of starvation. Things aren't looking very good, right? So Zedekiah, the king of Israel at this point, still thinks he can beat back the Babylonians with military force. So Jeremiah approaches the king and essentially says to him something like this. It's over, man. Give up. Give in. Here's what's going to happen. The king of Babylon is going to come in here and you are going to surrender. You can trust God with the rest and not get anybody else killed or you can keep on resisting. You can keep on fighting and a whole lot more people are going to die. Besides, this isn't a military thing anymore. This is a spiritual thing. Our nation has turned its back on God. Now, Zedekiah didn't like the words that were coming out of Jeremiah's mouth. He didn't believe him. He didn't trust him. So he branded Jeremiah as, a, as an unpatriotic threat to national security, arrested him, had him thrown in prison. So that's where Jeremiah is. In the middle of worst of times, Jeremiah sits in his cold, dark prison cell, misunderstood, persecuted, hunted down, captured, labeled. And in that place, he would proclaim some of the most powerful words of hope found in the Hebrew scriptures. Chapters 30 through 33 in the book of Jeremiah are sometimes sort of clumped together and called the book of consolation or simply the book of hope. You can read through the whole thing later if you want. And in it, we learn a whole lot about hope. Here's some things we learn about hope. Hope is about a promise. Hope is about a promise made by the divine to us and really to all of creation. Hope is about a promise. Verse 14 says this, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the gracious promise I made to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. Back up to verse 10. This is what the Lord says. You say about this place, it is a desolate waste without people or animals. Yet in the towns of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem that are right now deserted, inhabited by neither people nor animals, there will be heard once more the sounds of joy and gladness, for I will restore the fortunes of the land as they were before, says the Lord. Oh, hope is about a promise. God promises to be with us, even in our darkest days. In the worst of times, God promises that God will be with us, Hope is about a promise. God promises that no matter how bad things get, the days are coming. Feel those words. The days are coming. 
better days are coming. Hope is about a promise. Eventually, God says through the prophets that the world will be redeemed and it will become, all of creation will be redeemed and it will become what God intended it to be. It will be a world characterized by justice and peace. A world where people will be secure. A time when little children won't go hungry, where thousands of people won't die because they just don't have access to health care. It will be a world filled with sounds of joy and gladness, a world characterized by kindness and love, love of God and love of people for one another. Hope is about a promise. God promises to always be with us. God promises that better days are coming, that God is right now making the world the way he wants the world to be. God promised that. But it isn't just about a promise. Hope is also about a person. Hope is about a person and eventually about a people. Verse 15. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. Now, Jeremiah at the time had no idea that he was talking about Jesus, but we Jesus people believe that that righteous branch sprouting from David's line is Jesus. We believe that in Jesus, the promises of God are fulfilled. God promised to be with us. Jesus, God in human flesh. God promises that better days are coming. Well, what did Jesus teach? He taught and embodied and lived what he called this reality of the kingdom of God, God's dream for the world. He embodied that right there. Jesus embodied and lived the better days that Jeremiah foretold. Think about Jesus's life. This isn't hard if we just think about the life of Jesus. He made his way walking around Galilee and Jerusalem, and he didn't live into the way that things are. He didn't just accept reality for what it was. No, he didn't live or give in to the powers and the pressures that be. No, he lived a different kind of life. He lived subversively. He did what is just and right in the land. His whole life was marked by selfless love and grace and healing and forgiveness. He healed the sick and made the lame walk. He turned things around. He paid attention and shared a table with the nobodies and the nothings of the world. You know who they are by now, the tax collectors, the sinners, the prostitutes, and that list goes on and on and on. He made the blind see, the deaf hear, and the dead live again. And as he walked his way around Galilee and Jerusalem, embodying this thing called the kingdom of God, God's dream for the world, he gave the people hope. Hope that God really was right there in their midst with them. Hope that better days that are indeed coming and in some ways are already here. 
So hope isn't just about a promise. It's about a person. Hope is about Jesus. And guess what? You and me, we share that hope. And this hope that we have, this hope that that God is with us and that better days are coming and in some ways are already here, this hope, it actually propels us into action. It makes us do stuff in the world. This hope propels us into action. This hope that we have propels us to participate in what Jesus called the kingdom of God, to embody it like Jesus did. You see, hopeful people aren't passive people. Hopeful people are are actually people of action. I'll explain it this way. If I'm taking a class, I hope my boys are listening right now. If If I'm taking a class and I hope that I'll get an A, well, that hope ought to propel me to work hard and study hard in order to actually get that A. Are you with me? If any of us are hoping to sort of get a raise at work or or get a better position wherever it is we work, that hope inside of us ought to propel us to work really hard and do whatever it is it takes to get to that next level, to get to that next place. Hope propels us to action. If we want Renew Community, and we really hope that Renew Community is around for the next 50 years and doing really amazing work in the city of Ames, then that hope ought to propel us to do something about it. It ought to propel us to to invite our neighbors and friends and anybody else we know isn't connected to a faith community to just come check us out. It's really easy online right now. All you got to do is sit on your couch and watch a video. We really are trying to do church differently. We really are trying hard. It ought to propel us to do something about it. If we hope for peace in this world, then that hope inside of us ought to change us and cause us to realize that that peace in this world begins with us. And that maybe we can start, maybe we can stop shouting at the kids so much. Maybe we can start offering more grace and love and healing and forgiveness in our own homes. Hope propels us to action. To hope is to throw yourself into the struggle for the realization of that hope. To hope for justice is to work hard for it. To hope for a time when the poor are cared for and children are nurtured, it isn't enough to sit around and just complain about how bad things are. No, it's to find some hungry people and feed them. It's to find some children and nurture them. Hope propels us to action. Like we actually do something about it. But hope doesn't just propel us to any kind of action. Right? It propels us to bold and faith-filled action. Action that can actually be risky. It can be dangerous. In Jeremiah 32, you can go read about it later, but there's this great story. So the, the Babylonian army was just hammering away at Jerusalem. Their situation looked completely and entirely hopeless. 
Then Jeremiah's cousin visits him in prison and offers to sell him a a vacant lot, sort of in the suburbs of Jerusalem at a very cheap price. Like it's the worst time in the world to be buying a piece of property, right? The Babylonians are about to take the city and everybody's about to be deported. But Jeremiah lived with hope. Jeremiah lived with hope in the promises of God. God gave the promise that better days are coming. And so Jeremiah believed it. He had hope. So what did he do? He bought the vacant lot in the suburbs of Jerusalem. We look at that and we're like, you're crazy. But he lived with hope. Hope propels us to bold, faith-filled action. This guy named Pastor Calvin Butts. That's his name, Calvin Butts. And now my boys are at home giggling on the couch. He's the pastor of a church in Harlem. They were located on one of the roughest, most dangerous neighborhoods in New York City, planted right in the middle of social decay and dysfunction. Burned out buildings all around them. Their pawn shops are boarded up, and storefronts, grocery stores closed and boarded up. Their neighborhood is where prostitutes and crack dealers make their living. The Calvin's church decided not to move out of the place, not to move out of the neighborhood. They decided to reach out, to live expectantly, to live with hope that better days are coming. And what did that hope do? It propelled them to bold and faith-filled action. So they did things that they organized a bank, would offer loans to people. They created a program that would take care of latchkey kids. They formed a redevelopment agency and began redeveloping their neighborhood. And they fought for the community against overpriced supermarkets. There's some bold and faith-filled action right there. A church did all that. A reporter came from the New York Times to interview Calvin, and he said, you're doing some really good things here, but it's hard to see what any kind of difference you're making. What keeps you people going? And Calvin responded like this. We've read the Bible, and we know how it ends. We're not at the end yet. Come on. I love that. I love that a bunch. We know how it ends. Which is another way of saying, we know what God has promised. Better days are coming, are indeed on the way. God really is putting things back together again. We know how it ends. It ends with God's promises being fulfilled because God's the one who promised them. It all ends with you and me forgiven, a world redeemed, and all of God's people living together in justice and kindness and peace. And because we know how it ends, it ought to cause us to work with God for the realization of that end in the here and now, in the present. So here's the question. 
What do you hope for? Have you dared to hope lately? Really, what do you hope for? In your own home, in your own life, what do you hope for? In this community in which we are planted, the city of Ames, what do you hope for? What do you hope for? For this community, Renew Community, what are your hopes for this church? What do you hope for? If you hope for something, then do something about it. Because if we don't do anything about that which we hope for, then it's not really hope. It's just wishful thinking. And that gets us nowhere. So what do you hope for? Whatever it is, get after it. Just do it. Get after it. Get after it believing that God is indeed with you and will work with you and through you for the realization of that hope. Just do it. Let's pray.